You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. Welcome to season two of the Grossed Out Podcast. So stoked to be here. I'm your host, Rob Gross. Today, on the very first episode of season two, episode 28, if we do this, but this is my own mental thing that I'm doing it for, so bear with me here. I have my buddy, my homie from New York, Randy Derabijian. Am I saying that right? You are saying it correct. Fuck yeah, because when you're on email, you talk. We've known each other too long now to go back and, <laughs> and ask. So I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast. And what band are we talking about, dude? We are talking about Stone Temple Pilots. Right? STP. So excited to talk to you about this. So let me tell you a bit about Randy. He's an 18-year music industry veteran, currently the vice president of label marketing, uh, of label management at ADA, the independent label distribution and services arm of Warner Music Group, and an almost 30-year defender of Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, We'll tag him and everything later. Let's get going. Randy, welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast. Dude, thank you so much for having me. Um, I can't tell you how happy I am to be on here with you, episode one of season two, big fan of season one. You had some oh, great man. guests and some great bands that were discussed. So I'm very mm-hmm. happy to continue uh, the momentum with STP. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it, it's kind of cool because there are certain bands that I thought that we I would definitely get to on season one. And like a bulk of my favorite bands, we still haven't like, there's an episode coming up with uh, with a friend of mine. We're gonna do uh, Alice in Chains, and then um, I have this whole Did concept you not idea. Alice in Chains in season one. No Alice in Chains. Shit. No, no Soundgarden. Like wow. Right. I know, right? But like, here I am. Like, hey, let's talk about Glenn Danzig, and it was so much fun. So, um, but yeah, man, I think this is this is overdue, and I have to, and I, you know, and Randy and I talked about this before we hopped on this, but I have to. There has to be a bit of a, a preemptive kind of strike here that uh, ever, you know, ever, a lot of the followers of the podcast know that my wife Anna, who is a wonderful human being, um, she, this was all her brainchild and idea to kind of just do this to start this during the pandemic, and. I'm eternally grateful for that idea. And she also edits the podcast because I'm an idiot and she's really technically, you know, sound and proficient. She fucking hates Stone Temple Pilots and she's the same (laughs) age as us. Right. So like she grew up in Seattle thinking that like, I guess the, the posery kind of feel of like the second wave of bands that started coming in 1992. And then all the labels started gobbling these bands up because especially if you like have heard the, the mighty Joe Young stuff, Yes. Good God. It was like a terrible, different beast. So I get that. Like that second wave that was STP, Bush, Candlebox, all bands that I love. But it just, you know, the first record, I think, getting through core, if you never get over that hump, brilliant record. But if you never get over that hump, I don't think that you ever kind of can understand what came after it, which is so much better in a lot of ways. Dude, could, couldn't agree with you more. And I'll, I'll start by saying, too, like when when Core came out, um, you know, and just to give some background, too, like I'm I consider myself a grunge era kid, you know, like I yeah. fell in love with Nirvana um, when Heart Shaped Box came out. Right. So like I, I was kind of in this kind of world of like, you know, influenced by my dad in many ways with like Aerosmith and other classic rock and Beatles, Stones and Zeppelin and all that. I'm saying Aerosmith because I think at the time they were still like late 80s putting stuff out and like I was really into them going to early 90s. I was maybe 11 
or 12 when uh, Heart Shaped Box before In Utero came out. And I had heard of Nirvana, but I didn't really know what Nevermind was even at that point. And that was around the time oh. when we just got in cable. So I was watching MTV when all they played were videos and I started listening to the radio. And it was like, it was Nirvana. It was, you know, 10 was still an active album by Pearl Jam. Um, it was the later singles of Core, which included like Wicked Garden and Creep. Um, so, you know, that's when I really started getting into stuff. And then, you know, it wasn't until afterwards where I went backwards to Nevermind and then heard Plush for the first time after I'd heard Wicked Garden like 50 times. You oh, know what wow. I mean? So, but to that point, when I, when it all came together and when you mentioned preemptively, we were talking before, like what a time to be a fan and to learn rock music and grunge when it started, um, because I then had in my head, I thought every cool band was from Seattle, right? So <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. I'm go, I'm, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but taking it back to that, I thought STP was from Seattle too, because I knew Nirvana was and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, right? So I just always lumped them in. I never considered STP as to what you mentioned and what is probably accurate as the second wave of like you had you know your candle box and your other bands and right whatnot. I, I always thought of them as part of that, but knowing that they're not from Seattle, I can also understand people's reasoning behind not including them with those other bands. Well, I, I mean, you know? dude, this is prime. Pr this is like this is in our blood. This is prime record label guy shit. Like that, that was, that was the whole, that was the whole game, right? They're like, all right, they're from San Diego. They got a terrible name. Let's make it a worse name somehow, but we'll use like the STP, like motor oil logo and, right. and, and marketing. And then we'll make it so they sound and look like they're from the Northwest, but it's somehow translated. Like I'm two years older than you. And at that time, just you saying how you discovered these bands, was like a lifetime of I'd already been so into nice. Nevermind and like I was on the louder than love train. I mean, I was a bit early to be fair. Like I, I just, I, I don't know how it happened. I don't have an older sibling. I just saw stuff in the, the store and tapes were cheap and, yeah, you know, and, and right. that was it. But I mean, the, you know, 24 months, a big deal at that time. Huge. And, but I think those bands all got play at headbangers ball which for me was ah, like, right. wow, because Headbangers Ball I was watching, I was already into like Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica, the heavier shit. And then I already liked these other bands, but it almost gave it the validity that I needed in my little pea brain at the time to be like, shit, they're playing Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots on Headbangers Ball. Like sex type thing and, and especially Wicked Garden were like every week. So you'd see like oh, yeah. Napalm Death, Exodus, Cannibal Corpse, Wicked Guard. <laughs> it was like, so it, it definitely, whether they wanted it to or not, it was, it's, it, it stuck out. It stuck out like in a really, I, I think probably for a lot of metalheads in a really bad way. But for me, it was like, I, no matter how heavy music gets, and I love heavy shit. That's why I love a band like Gojira because they have, it's so heavy, but there's always a riff and there's always a verse and a hook and it, there's structure. Uh, album of the year, by the way, in my opinion, Gojira. Dude, that record is phenomenal. It's so um, fucking good. You're, you're, you're spot on, and it's funny because, uh, and and you know this, I'm I'm definitely into heavy stuff as well. But for me, that happened actually after 
my kind of grunge phase, which I'm still in, by the way. But like when I first got into music, it was really about that yeah. grunge era. When so to your point, going back about you know if you couldn't get past core, it would be difficult for other people to really understand why myself and you and probably and many others really are into STP. Like for me, core right. and looking back is it's a brilliant debut album. But for me, it was Purple that made me an almost 30-year defender of Stone Temple Pilots. And then the albums Man. thereafter, which, you know, as many as 98% of the rock bands that we know or we've ever worked with, um, you know, you go on a decline. And STP did that also. But for me, we can get into this later too, but like Tiny Music and then... Oh. Number so four, Shangalati Don, even the album they put out in 2010, like there's some gems on there that no mm -hmm. one really know about, you know, and they changed their sound. They became their own. They made their own unique sound. I think the DeLeo brothers did a great job of, you know, just kind of keeping that core, no pun intended, that core mm -hmm. STP sound to them that they had to define after core. I think there was an expectation of what core was and they kind of broke away from that. And they obviously didn't hit the sophomore slump with Purple because Purple was as big. Um, and we'll get into that, but like, no, I'm totally with you, man. I think, I think, you know, the stuff after Core is their cream of the crop stuff. It really is. And like, thank you for dropping that Macho Man line right in there with a little <laughs> bit of the cream of the crop. Um, and not, not to interrupt us, but you yeah. know, if we do wanna, if you ever wanna do the wrestling podcast too, you know, we can <laughs> oh, have a dude. side uh, it is ha that is happening. All I need to do is, is, is come up with a good pun for a name. I'm already working on one for the business, which I haven't told my partner yet. So we'll get into that, but I'm pretty Fair proud enough. of it. Right. You should see the list of bullshit names I tried coming up with for this one. And this is the best I got. It's like, all right, marketing whiz over here. here um, but I, I remember vividly going to the Kmart on Sample Road. So the North part of Coral Springs, Florida, where I lived. And I was already such a big fan of core. And I bought, I made my parents take me there after, after work, I guess, um, the day that Purple came out and bought the CD at the time. And I remember listening to it and being like, okay, this is very different. And I really, and I, Vaseline was the first single. So I remember already really loving Vaseline. And then I remember something, it's a feeling that I've only had a few times in my entire life. I felt like I already knew every song on the record. First time through. Right. At, thir at 13, I was like, man, this all sounds really familiar. Uh, this is the weirdest. It, the whole record felt like deja vu. And I'm sure that the 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 people that are against STP are probably like, that's because they're derivative. <laughs> and I, I'm fine. But to me, it was like they felt warm and comfortable. And there was like, like, I felt like you could feel the builds coming. And it was predictable in a way. But the songwriting is just top notch. And like you said, Tiny Music is one of those records that, I feel over time, it it might be the record I go back to the most from them because yep. it's like it's so off the wall and drugged out, and I mean it's it's raw and it's it's like a David Bowie record in a it, weird that's way. Exactly, you nailed it, man. That's exactly what it was. For look, looking back at it, I find myself going back to Tiny Music quite a bit. Little plug that um, uh, to this is the 25th year anniversary, and Rhino just put out a really rad reissue as they did for core and purple as yeah. well but um you know it was so that was actually that tour was the first time i saw stp the tiny music tour and it was the first time i've ever been to an arena show 
as well. And I'll never forget, I mean, the amount of shows that, you know, you and I have been to and many others listening to this have been to, but you remember your, some of your first shows of that caliber. And it blew me away partially because you mentioned the Bowie reference. Like I saw Scott Wilde on stage and was like, this is the best front man. I've, well, obviously I haven't seen many shows at that point, but like to this day, <laughs> um, he, when he was on and there were times oh. where he wasn't, but when he was on, um, it's hard to it's hard to find someone that is that captivating as a lead vocalist. Um, he's he's mesmerizing in a way that like David Lee Roth is, and yes. that's what's I, it's it's funny too because when I was in college, I was at the University of North Florida, and it was on the fuck what tour was it? So it would have been the number whatever was it Shangri La? No, no, it was two thousand and one or two thousand and two. So it would have been into that era. Yeah, and, so that was that would have been Shangri La. I think that came yeah, out yeah. That's right, because I worked at a college radio, right? So they were booked to play the UNF Arena in North Florida. And at that time, I was dating my wife, who was my girlfriend, and I really knew she hated the band. And I'm like, okay, you have to come with me. Like, I helped bring this to UNF. Like, this is like, come on. Like, like the last concert I helped put on before that was Deftones on the White Pony Tour with Incubus and Taproot opening. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, hello, I'm like, right? I'm like, right. Yes, yes, exactly. So, um, so I'm like, fine, here's the deal. If we go and the second that he starts doing that stupid fucking dance that he does, like where he like slithers like a snake, we go, we leave. She's like, fine. Lights go down. The intro for Loungefly starts. This is the second the show starts. He literally wiggles his way out on stage. She's like, all right, let's get my shit. Let's go. I'm like, all right. So we waited through probably like half the show, maybe. And I remember like they did like seven cage tigers acoustically and then like to your point earlier, it started to go off the rails a bit. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think Taco Bell sounds really good right about yeah. now. Yeah. But so fucking funny, like that that's literally how he came out on stage shirtless. And just like like a fucking sidewinder out oh, yeah. on stage. I'll tell you what though, man, when he's on and he does that, you, like you said, you you keep your eyes are on him. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of mesmerized by it, you know? Totally. Um and to, uh, you just mentioned, I, I got to say, that is, to me, one of the best gems they've ever written, Seven Cage Tigers. It's just they have oh, so man. many of those that not many people really know about, you know, that are just not, you know, again, a lot of people think of STP, they automatically think of core and maybe interstate love song, right? But, like, it's, there's, there, it's rock and roll, right? It's not mm-hmm. anything but that. And Seven That's Cage right. Tigers is a great example. Well, they, they, I'm a huge, and I'm sure you are too. And if we haven't talked about this before, like, I don't know why we haven't, but I'm a huge fan of like the, the album closer and getting it right. Yeah. And STP might be one of the better bands out there with album closers. I mean, like from like where the river goes, kitchen or candy bars. Yeah. Seven Cage Tigers. Atlanta. Atlanta. I mean, talk right. about, I, I would say if, if you were to ask me my favorite STP song. I was just be- gonna. That was just literally just gonna. Well, I, I'm gonna give an honorable mention to Atlanta. I, I think okay. over time, um, you know, and I don't know 15 years ago if I would have picked a song off number four, but today I go back to Atlanta. You know, totally. I think it's a beautiful song, um, and one that gets better over time. It's just a beautiful, it, it, and you know, if I if I told someone that had a few drinks and said, Hey, here's a door song you never listened to before. Check it out. You know what I mean? It's, like, 
it, it definitely has that vibe to. I don't think people that aren't familiar with the band they'd hear that and not you how do I put this better you wouldn't know it's STP if you were trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes that's right that's a, that's, from, that's a good point um, I mean so what is what is so what is your favorite record what is your favorite oh, song man it's um so as you could probably tell as we talked about Atlanta Seven Cage Tigers just so many other gems that you know were not commercial radio tracks you know what we would call a b-side or whatever but I'm going to probably, and I'm just going to probably have to go with Interstate Love Song. I mean, to really? me, that's a song that I can go back to. I am so happy every time I hear it. I'm talking personal favorite, you know? Um, and I would say Purple is my favorite album. Um, right. It could also vary by day. Like, I heard Interstate, right. um, and this is, you know, per, uh, just a, a cool thing to share. Like, my, my son, who's eight, he... Um, never pushed anything on him, but like he listens to rock music because my wife and I do, you know, and he naturally just like plays stuff that we have listened to on our own. And to hear him say, Alexa, play Interstate Love Song, oh, you dude. know, is like the yeah. coolest fucking, oh, hold on. Alexa, stop. Um, <laughs> That's so <cool. laughs> So, um, but you know, but the end, he's made me actually listen to a lot of the songs I used to listen to before. So it's, it's a great way to revisit stuff. Um, you know, I'd probably go interstate, even though I probably heard it more than any other song, you know? I mean, it, I love that you picked this. I actually have a question for you about that. But before I do that, I think that it, it, there's like almost like a taboo when you get to be like, as knowledgeable about music as we are and like the whole, you know, this is cool. That's not cool. And it's not cool to like hits. And it's like, nah, like what brought you to the dance? Like that's you, it. you yes. like whenever I talk about Faith No More, my favorite band, it's like, oh, you must be sick of Epic. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't go to the real thing as much as I would any other Faith No More record. It's just not my favorite record by, by like, it's, it, it's literally near the bottom. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I don't ever skip it if I do a full album listen, like that's what brought me in. That that was the weed of that, that brought me in. That's yeah. the gateway drug. So I, like, I love that you said that because like there's, their hits are undeniable. Like there's no. It, and, and, they, I'll, and I'll tell you what, yeah. to, to that point, like they had some radio singles off of their later year albums where they definitely were not my favorite songs on those albums. Like to me, it was to your sure. point, I can name you every STP song they've ever put out. You know, like I know mm -hmm. they're deep cuts and there's a lot of deep cuts that I would put at, in my top 10. But to right. your point, it's just like Interstate Love Song. And, you know, there's songs that you just have a connection with. Like for me mm -hmm. also... Again, when I mentioned, you know, listening to core, um, but also being introduced, like Wicked Garden was what introduced me to STP. And then, you know, I still remember it was Wicked Garden creep buying the core CD, then realizing that sex type thing and plush were these massive hits before. And sex type thing for a very long time would have probably been my favorite song, you know? Um, and so good. And it just so happened that they were singles. <laughs> It is what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I'll tell you what, to your point about, you know, closing out a sh uh, uh, an album or even, you know, I remember for a long time closing out shows, I've seen STP so many times, they, they changed it up to tripping on a hole for a while, but like knowing that a sex type thing was gonna be the last song, it's like you couldn't leave early. Like even if right. you wanted to, you know, like it was just, it was just 
Soga him on the megaphone also, you know, it was just, it was special. It was a know? sight back then too, because he would like put on like docks and like yeah. uh, a sundress and lipstick and had his head was not shaved, but buzzed. Yes. And he'd have the megaphone and it was like, that's what, like, that's what was so special about that time is that I felt like maybe this is me being a suburb kid. That's what introduced me to these other between him and Kurt, Eddie, I mean, all these guys, Chris, they, they, Lane, they all had this feminine power about them when they were performing that there was just no fucks given. So when you see Kid Cudi getting all this shit lately for putting on a sundress performing on SNL, it's like, no, he's doing a tribute to this yeah. era that came before him of these guys that were like super bro-y masculine fans. But the guys in the band were all like artists in touch with their feminine side or whatever you want to call it. And they're one of the first bands to go out there, at least at that era, and yeah. completely embrace like making out with. And, okay, not in a Chili Peppers way where it was just done for shock value. Like, hey, these are our dicks, and we have socks on them, yeah. or like, let's all butt fuck each other. It's like that was the Chili Peppers. Literally, were just doing that, and I feel in a way for shock value, and maybe not. But STP felt very authentic. Like when I read a story about how the lyrics for Plush were written by Scott and Eric when they were sitting in a hot tub together. Just like- I I remember that. Doing right. what gentlemen do in a hot tub. And it's like, <laughs> man, like when I was like 12 years old, that shit blew my mind. Cause I was just like, okay, well this is cool. Like, all right, 100%. so- 100%. Are they that, gay? That, that not, I don't care. To, to what, you know, kind of that side of what a, a musician was mm -hmm. artistically doing. And I, I commended it back then. I remember we talked about Bowie before, but I really do think Wyland tried to emulate Bowie as, mess, as best as he could also, while still being his own and not just totally. replicating a Bowie. And it worked, you know? It did. And if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. But if you got it, you were in love with it, you know? So, so like, when you now, so sorry to go back a couple conversations, no, but I really good. want to ask you this. Cause like, if you, so now speaking about your son, so now when you, when he does that and he's like, Hey, play this. I don't want to say the name. Cause yeah. I also have yeah, the device won't hear you. If you say oh, that, that, that is true. Um, do, do you hear the songs differently now? Like do, do, are there different meanings behind that? Because now you've shared it with, with your kid yeah, and you know, I, I'm I'm gonna say yeah, and and it's not for every song because um, we listen to a lot um, at home, yeah. and you know, it's really, you know, not to go too off the deep end, too on um, too many tangents, but we listen to a lot of Beatles, we listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin here, and that's you know, for me, there's something really special about, especially when my, when my son was younger, and really understanding music, and it you know being regular kid songs and Disney stuff, but that was also like the Beatles, right? And for right. me, that was really special. Um, and I also knew at that point that there was a way for to kind of play more stuff like the Beatles, like, you know, obviously Stones and then even the Beach Boys and like stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of gradually into other stuff. Like my son's listening to Iron Maiden and Slayer now. It's That's crazy. Awesome. That's um, so awesome. But to your point, you know, I also know he knows that STP is probably my personal favorite band. Mm. And I think he, um, and it's, it's a special feeling. I think he, I think he genuinely likes them, but I also know he knows I'm happy when he plays it. 
yeah. you know what I mean? And and that's right. meaningful and that's it's special. It's it's just a, a pretty cool thing, you know. That's really awesome. It yeah. really is. I'll tell so, you what, not not to go too much on onto my nah. son here, but what's amazing what he does, and I think you know this is what we how we view the future i'm also as you mentioned before been in the music industry for a long time and i just don't know if this is what other kids do but as you know a lot of our time is spent on streaming platforms and whatnot so you know he has his own spotify account and will tell me what the top five songs are by each band that he on spotify and so so a lot of the songs that he knows it's because of just what's in the top five at the time, you know? So so it's just, um, you know, so when it comes to certain bands that I'm playing um, or that he's playing, it's really what's kind of showing it's popular. We try to do more deep cuts here and there, but a lot. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm not expecting your eight year old son to be like (laughs) the the B side legend at this point. (laughs) He's getting there. He's getting there. He's He's an A side legend for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes, for sure. So, um, and I'll share these when when we do the posts, but um, so you've, you've met the guys in the band a couple of times. Yeah. How how have those experiences been for you? Because I've doing what we do. I, I consider myself extremely fortunate that I've only had two kind of negative experiences in my entire career. And one, I don't even consider a band. It was Tattoo, T-A-T-U. Okay. And, and uh, you know, all the things she said, and the, like Russian yeah. models, whatever. And the other one, um, I, I will just, you know, well, it was Sully from Godsmack, but, yeah, when, yeah. I was not, but when I was 19. So, okay. um, and then he remembered me. 19 years later, it still didn't like me. <laughs> I don't think I knew that part of it. I remember, oh, yeah. oh wow. We eventually okay. got all, got along, but anyway, so I know that when you meet when you meet these artists, it's like it can kind of be a crapshoot, especially with the way that, you know, the substance abuse and yeah. the 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 inner struggles and replacing him to do talk show and like bringing yeah. him back and the like so how was that explain all that to me yeah so you know i'll start i'm going to start with the story that happened a little bit later in stp's career um which to your point in the industry that we're in um, i've also considered myself very fortunate i've met as you have uh, many an artist musician and um nothing but respect for everyone that does that for a profession um, and you know, they're, they're people, you know, it's like, you're going to be cool most of the time. And that's, what's the cool thing about what we do, being able to converse and, and, and talk about the projects and, and all that stuff. But when it comes to bands or musicians that you are actually like a fan of, and not like a fan, like work-wise, but like Stone Temple Pilots is my, you know, for, for what it's worth, probably my, still my favorite personal favorite band. So, um, you know, back in, I want to say it was maybe 2013-ish, um, the company, um, I've been with ADA, we mentioned before, um, for around, around a decade at this point. So back then, um, you know, we're an independent distribution company. We had signed a deal with Playpen Records, which was um, the Stone Temple Pilots wanting doing their own thing. They're actually, they currently go through last stuff they put out as is through Rhino through Warner mm-hmm. Music Group. It's also known as Playpen. So they had created the name Playpen LLC and they did a deal with us. And you know, I kind of jumped all over that and said I want to run sure. a point on that project. And you know, kind of the the manager was kind of the day-to-day at the time. I think he's actually still managing the band now and super cool. 
Um, and I, I remember it, it was funny. I had, you know, we're talking about timelines and what the plan is. They're putting out an EP. So to, just to backtrack, this is an EP with Chester Bennington. So they had mm-hmm. parted ways with Wyland. Um, they put out the last, um, their final studio album with Wyland in 2010. So this is a few years later. This is the, the remaining band members, Zaleo Brothers, Eric Kretz, with Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. They put together a four-track EP, a four or five-track, if you're getting offhand. And, um, you know, I'm telling the label, which is the manager, I said, listen, I'm going to get this out of the way now because I'm going to be the point person here. I'll be working with our sales teams and gathering all the information. You just should know I'm an Uber fan. I'm just putting it out there. We don't have, ever have to talk about it again, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. Done deal, right? He, it, it all went well, right? Everything was fine. So fast forward, they do a tour with Chester. And I remember it took a while to get that going. Obviously, as you and hopefully most people that listen to this know, Chester is, has had other commitments at the time, right? Lincoln mm-hmm. Park never was always a band. Um, and so they're playing Starland Ballroom in Jersey. And um, the, man, uh, the the manager team was, was great enough to get me and some of my colleagues into... It was really cool because what we've experienced in the past where you get to go, you know, meet the band after there's like a ton of people around and you get to say hello or whatever. Um, And that's been my experience a lot from the distribution side, right? I'll get to meet artists, but it'll be kind of like they're meeting a lot of people. They're doing what they need to do. They're, they're, Mm -hmm. they're, They're playing the game, right? But they had carved out some time for myself and some of my colleagues to have like 10 to 15 minutes with the band in their dressing room. Um, before the show, which was awesome, right? So going into that was this feeling of like, man, I really hope they're not assholes because that would, yeah, of course. now I'm going to have, uh, not, it's not just going to be hello. It's going to be, we're going to have a conversation, right? And it would be, for me, it would have been crushing if there was anything like uh, this, you know, they're not into the conversation or they're just like, why are we doing this type of thing? They were fucking awesome. And it was, it made me so happy to like be able to tell them that as you know, I'm super excited to be working with you guys on this project and here's what I do uh, to help with the efforts around what you guys are doing with this work of art you created. And, and to also tell them, you know, say I've been a lifelong fan since you guys have, have started and it's an honor to be working with you. And all of them, the DeLeo brothers and Eric Crescent is saying, oh yeah, you're the Uber fan. That's like working on, like you're, you're our main guy. We're, uh, so like they, that, it made its way back. He told them. You yeah. can't top that stuff. Like that's why we do what we do. Like that was a really cool moment for me. I mean, you know? dude, that's, that's awesome. Can you imagine if you were in a band, even if you, you're seasoned or how, whatever you want to call it, you've been doing it for a couple, two decades, whatever. And then you get a fresh product manager on your project and especially where they were at, where like it needed to work in, it was yes. this cool thing. It was a great press moment. It's like, it, it was a cool EP. Then you find out that your PM is somebody or somebody on your project, whatever it is, fucks with your band so hard that you know that like, you don't even have to, that's like, that's the label fear of bands is that I'm not going to have people that understand us or that if we sign and those people get blown out or they leave, then we're done. And so even at that stage in their career, being millionaires and having 30 hits in the rear view or whatever, 
that's got to feel really good. Yeah, man. It, it was, it was great. I think, I think for everyone involved, it was really cool. And, you know, for them, I give them a lot of credit, you know, like they were playing again, Starland ballrooms, super cool venue. I don't totally. know offhand, maybe it's a thousand capacity, but like, I, I do know it's 2173. Oh, is it, is it two? Is it, no. I didn't realize it's, it's, it's almost, almost 2200. I, I used don't to mess basically with Jersey too much. So <laughs> I haven't been to Starland as much. Um, I used to I used to live there basically in the, oh. in, like the in the in the drive through records days. Um, Got it. All those bands played there, and I was like a field rep putting up posters. Okay. So there and I go. lived down there, so that was my I was there probably like twice a week. Sayerville, right? It's Sayerville, um, the an so old good. abandoned summer camp for those of you that are not that lost their liquor license for about a decade and a half. Amazing. So for the yeah, so good. Sorry, but you know, Continue. so they're they're you know STP is like you know again, and and there was to your point about this great press angle, but like as great of a singer, and by the way, it was also incredible to meet Chester Bennington, you know, and. Mm-hmm he was a little bit more reserved and quiet and kind of like he was writing on the side while the other guys were kind of doing the do of talking to myself and, and some others or whatnot. But, you know, it was just to think back and like he was there, but it was also like they had to call it Stone Temple Pilots with Chester Bennington. That's how it was built, right? It wasn't, I think there was still this whole thing of like Chester can't replace Scott Weiland, you know, that whole thing and um i'll tell you what though man i don't know how if, if you were able to catch them i saw them twice with chester once Starling, and once Irving plaza the cool thing about chester playing with them is that chester's a he was a fan like oh, he was sure. he also the way wyland looked at bowie wyland you know so right. chester hit i mean all his notes move like him on stage and this for what it's worth, the EP was pretty good. Like, and, and it was good, you know, and, you know, again, going off of that, the other iterations of Stone Temple Pilots with, you know, uh, current singer, um, Jeff Gutt, he, um, Jeff Gutt, he, he's actually very good. Mm-hmm. Um, he sounds a lot like Wyland. He knows what he's there for, right? Mm-hmm. But also the new music's very good. I mean, I don't it know is. if I'm biased or not, but like the last two albums, they put out another self-titled album a few years ago and they put out Perdita, which is more acoustic sounding in the last year. Um, you can understand why STP wanted to keep the name STP. You know, they're For sure. keeping a legacy For going sure. and, and and all that. Um, I don't, and by the way, I know I keep on going to tangents. I'm also on my second glass of uh, whiskey right now, but I'm gonna <laughs> mention um, to your point about, you know, other times meeting the band, so I also, the only time I was ever to meet Wyland, um, it wasn't in that type of setting. It wasn't, you know, never working on a project that Wyland was involved in, but he had put out an autobiography. Um, I believe it was called uh, Not Dead and Not For Sale, um, which is a lyrics from Tripping on a Hole. Um, you know, and if you haven't read it, it's... I haven't, actually. I felt like it could, I felt like it could have been more. I think there was gaps missing, which you, you know, think to yourself is, did he just not remember certain parts? I think you mm-hmm. you expected, you know, I don't know if I was expecting to read the Slash autobiography, which is one of my favorites, but um, it wasn't, you know, it maybe two to 300 pages. You would think there there would be more to, to it. Right. Uh, and I'm not knocking the autobiography by any means, but I was I, I would have liked it to be just a, a little bit more um, compact. That, that said, he did a book signing at Barnes & Noble in New York. So this is... 2010, 2011, uh, forgetting offhand when, when the book came out. 
but so he's doing this book signing and he was playing Gramercy theater mm. later that evening solo, which I also went to with a few friends and going to the book signing first, he was doing an interview um, with Matt Pinfield was conducting the interview. And man, when I tell you, it's kind of like when you see, I mean, again, favorite musician, right? Like he'd gone through at this point, a lot of personal troubles For and sure. issues with alcohol and, and drugs, which is obviously well-documented and seeing him in this interview was so fucking painful to watch. Mm. It kind of just, it made your heart break, you know? And you couldn't tell what it was, right? It was kind of like, is he just on pills and can't speak? You know, it was just re a really slow conversation. I think Matt Penfield, from what I remember, did a really good job trying to keep the interview going along. And part sure. of me was like, how the hell is this guy playing Gramercy in two hours? Um, so anyway, got to meet him. The one thing I can look back on and say I'm really happy that happened was, you know, he was just doing the, you know, he was fine. He was just, he was signing his book and giving the head nod. People were going by. I made a point to shake his hand and thank him for everything that he's contributed to music. And he looked That's at awesome. me and, you know, I genuinely smiled, which I'm sure he remembered for all of half a second. Um, <laughs> But that was cool to be able to have said that, you know? Yeah, um, I mean... Well, and I he mean, played how, a few hours later, and I don't remember how the show was, I'm sure. I was just going to ask you, how was the show? <laughs> I, I, I feel like it wasn't great. I feel like... I think it's the hard thing when it's a Scott Weiland show and you're playing Gramercy Theater, so it's not a small... It's a smaller venue. Mm -hmm. um, again, I'm guessing around 600 capacity. I could be wrong. Um, You're probably right under a thousand, that. right? Definitely, definitely under um, a thousand. So you know, everyone there is an STP fan, obviously. And if, sure. I, if I remember correctly, you know, you're expecting to hear some STP songs, and I think he just played a lot of covers, and they weren't even Wyland solo songs. I remember someone in the audience was like, "Just play your own shit! Like, what are you doing?" Like, That's it, so it, it was really bizarre and weird. Um, and I remember just being there, hold, like holding on to the. I have a bag. I just had a bag with me with the book. <laughs> like it was a surreal day and, and night. But um, so that was my experience meeting uh, meeting him. Yeah. So that's. I guess it's a good segue for a, a, at least to touch on his solo material because I remember it was ninety eight. I was working at a record store in the mall because that's that's where they were at the time, and. Um, he had he had oh god what song was it on the great expectations soundtrack was it lady your roof brings me down it was lady your roof brings me down and that led into 12 bar blues and i remember thinking okay this record's so fucked up and drugged out and then if you isolate certain songs like where's the man and then barbarella was the single which is a total bowie rip and i mean that totally. was a compliment but like where's the man is a beautiful, it's almost like a perfect little pop song. And I remember teaching it to myself on guitar, trying to figure it out and just such a brilliant tune. And obviously like, look, it came out on Atlantic because they were on Atlantic. Yep. That record had no shot. And I think a lot of those guys at the time were putting out solo material like Scott did, Jerry Cantrell did that year. Yes. Cornell did the year after. I think Cornell wins the prize. Euphoria Morning's pretty flawless. And there's there's a couple others, but you know it's he did release several solo records, and 
but I think 12 bar is probably the best of those. I know that there was like a rock record that we worked right at the end uh, through, it was through, I had just left in grooves. So it was a 2014 probably. Was it the, um, the blaster? Yes. Album? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My friend, my, my friend signed it, worked it. And I remember driving to work every day to my new label I was working at and the bass player who was like 34 years old, he died of a drug overdose. So like the day huge... it came out or something. Yes. Right? Like, so there's was this crazy. huge billboard of this record. So a reminder of the job I just left, the dead guy on the billboard, Scott, who wasn't long for this world right next. It was right. like such a weird totally situation. But I mean, I, so tell me, like, what are your relationship with those records? Like, do you do you go back? Like, I know you had a Christmas record in there. There's like a double <laughs> album. Like, I, there were some, I'll, you know. I'll be honest. And I'm glad you brought it up. I, I'm a fan. Of, and, and this is probably the side of me that's the STP fan kind of being like, yeah, I'm a fan of the wild and stuff. But in reality, I don't go back to them. Sure. Um, I think 12 Bar Blues is the best of, I think he put out Christmas album aside. I, I want to say he put out three. It was 12 yeah. Bar Blues, Happy and Galoshes, and the Blaster yeah. album of the Wild Abouts band. Um, yeah. 12 Bar Blues, I think, was, for what it's worth, it, it didn't deserve to be a Stone Temple Pilots album, but it was a unique artistic album that I think, um, I remember, you know, buying it the day it came out mm -hmm. and listening to it quite a bit. There was a song called Cool Kiss. That was oh, a little so mocking, good. Right? Yeah. And they had um, Mockingbird Girl was another cool one on that. Um, so it was different. I think I tried, I think I listened to it enough times where I kind of forced myself to like it because, you know what I yeah. mean? But I'll say this, Happy and Galoshes, um, I want to say the lead track was called Paralysis. If you haven't yes. heard it or if others haven't, it's a really good song. I think that might be his best solo song. Which, um, by the way, is not on streaming services. It is not. Um, I noticed that when I was kind of in my kind of doing a refresher of all the side mm -hmm. bands from STP getting ready for uh, this momentous podcast, you know, but um, <laughs> I... Uh, you know, it was on at some point. So, mm -hmm. right, you know, he was on, I think his his own label was Soft Drive, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm, he, I'm just honestly not sure what, what happened to it. The um, Soft Drive thing was weird, too, because I remember that I was, I don't remember what time in, in the timeline. This is maybe 2003, four, five. I was in New York working for Interscope, and we I see a press release that Interscope has signed soft drive scott wyland's new label entity and i'm like this makes no sense because scott has no aff affiliation with interscope let alone universal music group like atlantic was a was warner it was a whole sure. different partner so where right. did this come from then the one record they put out is by this band called the campfire girls that's this la like legendary and i use that term loosely just because i love them so much it's very I think Scott got a lot of influence from Campfire Girls, okay. but basically the record were just re-records of songs that were on previous records <laughs> that were out through Interscope. They had like a, they had like a, an EP and a full length, and then nothing for like fuck, like maybe like twelve years. And then this record was just those songs, like maybe like one or two new ones, Amazing. and. That was the only thing that ever came out on Soft Drive through Interscope. It sold like. 200 but you, copies. What year was that? Like when, when, when was that? Oh, three to, it, it had to be no later than Oh five. Okay. But no, but no earlier, no earlier than Oh three. It is a phenomenal record. I mean, I already knew all the damn songs, right. but they just been kind of like remixed or remastered, but 
my God, like I was like, why is this deal happening? So when I saw the soft drive label pop up on galoshes, I'm like, all right, well, somebody picked this up. All right, yeah. that's cool. To your point, though, it'd be great if that got got up onto streaming services uh, again at some point, you know, the, the way we're all consuming music these days. So uh, and I'll tell you what I thought Blaster, I can't. I'd be lying if I sent if I said I spent a shit ton of time with it, but there were Mozilla was a cool track that had some mm -hmm. cool songs on it. Um, but more so than while in solo, you referenced talk show before. And I think talk show is a band that no one remembers, right? But I want to say it came out between Tiny Music and number four. It did. And it was the Delay the, the Deleo Brothers, Kretz. I believe Kretz was in the band, and um, was. a guy named Dave Kautz who, sorry, Dave, if you're listening, I don't know whatever happened to Dave Couch after talk show. I don't either. But um, I'll tell you what, man, great album. And to Dude, me- Dude, it's that so was, good. That was an STP album with a different singer, you know? They and had it, a legitimate bona fide hit on that did. song with, with Hello, Hello. Hello, Hello was great. And there was a, a talk about, to your point before, about closing out the album, the, the last track on that album is called Fill the Fields. And oh, it yeah. It's a beautiful song. It um, is. And I gotta, I'll tell you what, good story about talk show is I can't imagine they did many tours, but I can say I got to see talk show. You know how you, I, I love this, I, I'm gonna go on a tangent. I love the conversation of saying, I got to see this band play in this venue, right? I've had a lot sure. of friends in the industry that's been like, I saw Metallica play at this club, you know, during Ride the Lightning. It's like, fuck you, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, That's the, a, a very large fuck you. <laughs> so, but I always want to like look back and say, I, I, the amount of shows we've all seen in clubs, I want to say, oh, I saw this band there. You're never going to see them at a club again. So I saw a talk show open for the Foo Fighters at Roseland at the color, during the Color and the Shape tour, which was- That's a good one. Such a fantastic show, dude, because it was- so I'm sure you've been to Roseland and for those, oh, yeah. I, I, Roseland to me was the quintessential New York City venue. That's 100%. The, the in-between of, it was a big band not playing an arena, right? That's right. It was, and uh, I don't think it's ever been replicated. And, you know, I was as excited to see talk shows as I was the Foo Fighters. I was a big Foo Fighters fan at that time, which a lot of people were when The Color and the Shape came out. Totally. Um, but it was just a great combo and, you know, everyone was into talk show because everyone knew it was the DeLeo brothers, right? Cause STP was still like, I had just seen them play in arena the year before, you know what I mean? Right. So STP was still a huge band and everyone knew what talk show was back then. And then seeing the Foo Fighters play, you know, and at Roseland looking back, it's just fucking awesome. You know, dude, that's uh, that venue, man. Like I remember seeing Black Label Society there with Clutch and Children of Bodom when I was working with, I think all three of the bands through Fontana. And it's the, there were like every biker that was like in the tri-state area was there. And I saw a guy, I remember they used to have the garbage cans that lined the main level there by the back bar, like where the little pillars that probably held the fucking place in place. Yes. They were like load bearing pillars. And I saw a guy in a black label society vest, no shirt, of course, why, why? Um, <laughs> just do a line of Coke around the rim of the garbage can. And I'm like, yeah, this is easily the best venue in New York. Like, so great. So, <laughs> so, great. so um, did, talk, did talk show play any STP songs? Not that I remember. Uh, wow. I, I honestly, uh, they could have, 
I, I honestly don't remember. Um, yeah, it's a long time ago, man. It was a long time ago. I'll tell you what, though, speaking of Roseland and just on that tip and going into other bands connected to STP, I saw Bel- another, uh, for me, it was a very special show and the amount of shows that we that we see, just given what we do for a living, another one that stands out for me, I saw Velvet Revolver at Roseland first ever New York City show where the only song anyone knew was Set Me Free, which was on mm. the Incredible Hulk soundtrack. It was before, right, right. before Contraband even came out, but it was sold out in minutes. I went with a buddy of mine. Wait, I was there. No shit. I was totally there. Love it. Because yeah. we did, for some reason, we did the King Kong soundtrack through like Verez or something like that. And I remember it had that was the only actual song on the sound. It was the end credits. Yes. Yes. And that's exactly I, right. I was told I was a hundred percent. I was there. And you know, if if you recall, like, see, so uh, you know, sold out, right? It's mm-hmm. this new super group that has Wyland, Slash, and Duff, and Matt Sorum. Like, it was just, it was really fucking cool, right? And you know, I set me free was a cool song for sure, but everyone was kind of like, I wonder what everything else is going to sound like. I don't remember if Slither had come out at that point or not. I don't um, think so. But I still remember, man, being there and like just hearing all these songs for the first. And th- that's a rare thing to say that you're seeing a band that, you know, yeah, it's con- they're considered a super group, but they're a band that you want to see because you know who the band is, but you don't know any songs that they have. Like that's a rare right. thing, right? And you're And you're with an entire audience that's in the same boat as you, right? So it's just kind of like, and they played, I'm imagining mostly every song off the album. I remember it being really fucking cool when they played Fall to Pieces because it was just a beautiful slash doing his thing and, and Wild yeah. kind of leaning up against him, you know? And then, of course, they played um, they played Sex Type Thing um, right. and they played It's So Easy, right? And they, did, maybe, they dabbled a bit. I don't remember if they played another STP and or another GNR song. Um, I just remember those two specifically. Um, yeah. It's so easy and, and sex type thing. And those became like set staples for them too. Correct. Over time. Yes. That they didn't, they didn't, don't, yes. They never went too deep into it. Like I remember seeing Audio Slave the first, you know, I never saw You're them on the first the name tour. Killing the of Audio Slave? Well, was, but they, on the first tour, they did none of it. Like, I saw it was them. Literally. I saw Audio Slave for the first time at Roseland. Speaking okay. Of, keeping on the Roseland tip. That was on the Out of Exile, right before Out of Exile dropped. I was there. Okay. Uh, I worked that record and I, um, I, I beat up a guy that night cause he, uh, he was messing with my wife, made a weird, like no kind of blow jobby face at, 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 and like I decked him and uh. then they kicked him out because I was working there. So I remember that very, cl- I was with, uh, with Mark Shapiro and oh, like uh, a couple of the old school crew yeah. universal, like Bob Morgano and like the, the whole team was there. And that's my memory of the show was like during the acoustic I am the highway coming back from from uh, to Encore One uh, that I had punched a dude. So great. Uh, well, that's that's fucking crazy. Um, yeah, not not my finest I'm glad, hour. Glad you but, punched uh, him and that he got kicked out. Um, yeah. but yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, again, not to go off of the STP thing, but Cornell doing "Killing in the Name of" might have been one of the best fucking things I've ever seen. It was surprisingly awesome. It was awesome. I mean, and you know why? It's because I wasn't expecting it. Totally. Because you know what I mean? It was kind of like, okay, this is cool. 
And it was like, and I mean, listen, by that point in the show, I'm sure I was uh, very not sober at that point also was super excited to hear killing in the name of, you know? So. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I, I don't think that we got too bad. I mean, we, I remember like a few of us went out drinking afterwards, but I remember specifically that Brett Scallions was, we were up in the rafters and Brett Scallions from fuel was sitting in front of us. And I just kept saying Brett Scallions or maybe so I, maybe I was drunk. Cause I just kept saying Brett Scallions. There he is, Brett Scallions. I'm like, take take a lesson from the master. I was a total dick. I was a, I was a, I was a, what, like 24, 25? So good. Total asshole. Brett Scallions, anyway. I'll tell you what, I was uh, speaking of, of musicians that go into other bands. I don't know if you ever saw this and people might shit on me for saying this. He did a pretty good job on, in Riders on the Storm, playing with I, Manzarek and, and Krieger at the time. We, uh, my wife and I saw that show at Irving Plaza and... I'll tell you what, take a few hits off the bowl and you close your eyes a little bit. You're like, oh, this is pretty fucking cool. It's, yeah. <laughs> there's, I, I think visually Ian Astabury had the best, like the closest look, but I heard that Brett actually killed it with, he did with great. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, all these guys are influenced by that band. Like Scott was so heavily influenced by the oh, Doors. Of course. And which probably kills my wife too, because like Doors are like, number two favorite band is Pearl Jam and the Doors. So it's like, I, I, I get the layers, right? It's like a, it's like a probably 70 layer cake of some kind. Right. So, um, so I guess in the Canon, um, they have their, you have your favorite album. What's the best album? Man. Yes. Yeah, the tough ones, Rob. It's hard. I, I mean, it's, it's hard. Um, a lot of times it's the same. And I think, I think it's the same. I think it's purple. I think purple I, is my favorite, but I, I think it's their best album. I, I, think I do. For, I agree. For, for what it was when it came out. And I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before for me personally. So obviously, so yes, my opinion, best album they put out on a personal level. Why it's my favorite too is I mentioned earlier, I was super, again, at a very young age, very influenced by Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. Sure. Flannels every day of my junior high school, my young junior high school life. Um, and when he died, that was at that point in my life, again, it was probably like the kind of from my personal memories, probably the biggest impact I had at that age. Yeah, um, of course. Of like, I had Nirvana, nothing but Nirvana posters in my bedroom, right? And it was at that moment where I wanted to kind of like, I knew I would always love Nirvana, but it was like, I never got to see them live and I'm going to pick a new favorite band. And that's right when Vaseline came out. And it was right when you mentioned Vaseline too, Big Empty had just come out on the Crow soundtrack. Right. Which right? kind of preceded, that preceded it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then Purple came out in June, which was two months mm -hmm. after that. And I just gravitated to it as like my kind of like, okay, let me latch on to STP type of thing, you know? That's interesting. That's really, like, I think, you know, growing up, like, you know, where I did in Florida, it's like, we didn't really think to the same, kind of what you were saying earlier, where it's like, I knew they weren't from Seattle, but I didn't care at the time. And I guess maybe if I was from the Northwest, I would have felt differently, but it was almost like, 
with a band like Bush, who I've now come to really love. Yeah. They've been a, been a very consistent band. Their last album's incredible. Very good, and like, yes. Like really heavy too. And it's like, for them anyway. Yeah. And I, you Bold, know, Mike, great song. Uh, great fucking song. Yeah. I actually have a story I'll tell you offline about that whole <laughs> process. Mr. Bobo will be happy to tell you this one. I uh, can't wait to hear it. Or, or, or Nick Attaway, which you could thank him for this record basically. Um, <laughs> but, but like, it didn't matter. Like they were all putting out just every record was great. Like every bit, like it's like, if it was Soundgarden, it was STP. It's like every time they put out a new body of work. That's like that, that few years, man, it was like every album was had some, Brendan O'Brien had something to do with every album. Right. And it was just, it wasn't even like the nineties. It was like, early nineties to 96, even it was just like this. Yeah. Yeah this crop of albums that came out that, you know, I, I, it's just, it's unbelievable thinking about it. I mean, not only did you have the grunge bands, but you mentioned Chili Peppers before, but between the Chili Peppers and Nine Inch Nails and the Pumpkins, like it was just, it was almost like, I look back and you're just like, holy shit, this all came out around yeah. the same time. And that's all the stuff that I'm listening to in 2021. Right, you know but, I mean? but we're even sitting here like listening to Lemonheads, Jim Blossoms, Oasis, like, all the the shit that was on the periphery that maybe wasn't like your direct shot, like of yeah. like your your top like six bands or whatever, the other bands were still fucking great, they and were. that's not. It's something that I, I I hope isn't lost, and I and I and I know with with streaming, it's 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 an amazing discovery tool. Of but course, yes. There there's the latching on to something or the connection with something that I don't think is this prevalent or like you see it in certain artists like a Billie Eilish, a Youngblood, an MGK, whether we fuck with it or not, doesn't matter. Like I shouldn't, I'm too old. Like I, I should see it and be like, I get why you like this. It's not yeah. for me, but it was just, you couldn't escape it back then. Now okay. you, I feel in a way you still have to kind of search it out. And then it literally had like my mom knew who all these bands were. And I yes, think obviously it right. had a lot to do with me, but you know, like, you just couldn't go into a supermarket without seeing like Eddie Vedder on fucking people or like, or time. It was like, he was in the cover of time. Like that's how big it got. I want to, I want to go back to, to Vedder in, in a second, because I do want to touch on the whole STP Pearl Jam thing, but like the, the points you're making, I think it's, it's so accurate because you also think about it. And it was like, still, it was like that the last generation before the internet. Right. And like that's right. shorter attention spans and, you having no choice but to listen to the radio or buy the album, right? right. Like there wasn't like this, I'm just going to make a playlist and have, to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had my own cassette tape playlist off the radio and stuff like that, but Same. like it was, just, it was different. It was a different way of consuming music back then. It was a different way of latching on to bands back then. I mean, I dude, I remember having my boom box and just like waiting for a song to come on so I can hit record when it started. Oh on yeah. The cassette. It was a know? skill. It was just like taping the top. Such so a good didn't... skill. Yeah. It was the worst when the DJ would talk for the, the, the instrumental part in the beginning too. It's like, dude, shut up. Every time. I hit record. Uh, every time. Uh, uh, but, every so, time. <laughs> <laughs> but real quick, I, I, I always go back and I'm always curious. I mean, your fa- I know your favorite band, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong is Pearl Jam. Right. My, I think like Faith No More has always been my favorite band since I was a kid, but Pearl Jam has been, they were around when Faith No More wasn't. So I think by default, especially with how good they are live, they have kind of taken that spot 
three to four days of the week. Let's, let's put it that way. Fair, yeah. Fair enough. And, and, and I'm curious because like, and by the way, I super appreciate that. I fucking love Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, I Talk found it sure. more that Pearl Jam, like hardcore Pearl Jam fans. And obviously there's, there's a lot and there's, I think there's more than STP fans to be realistic. Sure. Um, I think STP fans are totally cool with Pearl Jam. I think Pearl Jam fans are more like, eh, fuck STP. You know, you you pretty much nailed the entire existence between the two <laughs> relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's like there is overlap. Like once in a while, you'll see a shirt at a show, or whatever. Like you know, it's like there it, it's they're an undeniable. And maybe band. This, and, and this day and age, right now in 2021, I would I don't know. I would hope it's it's all like whatever, right? But back, but back then, then, dude, in the oh, 90s, dude. it was it was different. It was like. If you wore, I had a core shirt and when I wore that shirt, like I felt like I had to have my defenses up because I was usually wearing like a helmet shirt, Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, Pearl Jam, like literally my wardrobe has not changed. But, but the core shirt, like I remember wearing it, like, and it was probably my own head. It was like, all right, who am I going to fight today? Like, who am I going to get? Like, it was just, your guard was up because even in South Florida, I guess like we didn't know, but we kind of maybe did know. I don't know. It was just a very strange thing. Like it was like, it wasn't as cool to like STP. Like if you liked helmet, like then you knew your shit. And if you liked Slayer, then you like, you really knew your shit. And if you like Pearl Jam, well, you might, you know, maybe you were trying to get girls or whatever, but if you like STP, like you probably had questionable judgment and I, I never could figure out like peace at all. But it's like, at that time we we're all listening to ministry, uh, yeah. fucking li- living color screaming. It didn't matter. No one cared really. It was all in our own heads. You're totally right. It's just amazing thinking back to it, man. Um, I will say, and, and I'll give Pearl Jam and, and other bands credit for this. And there are other bands like STP that do this, but the one thing that I've always loved about Pearl Jam is how they will change up their set list. Every you know? night. I think, I think STP, the one thing, the one gripe I've always had with them is, and, and maybe it was a wild thing, right? Where mm-hmm. he just didn't want to have to know to do the different set list every night, but it was the same set for, for, for the tour that it was, it was the same set list. I always wanted to see them more than once on the same tour. And, you know, you want to, you know, right. maybe there was one song switched out. You know, that's what that's what Allison Chains does now. And it's so frustrating because they're so fucking good. And maybe that's why they're so good. And maybe why when you go see Pearl Jam, they fuck up and think but like that's the best part of the show where it's like, damn, he played the wrong note or like he can't remember the third verse or like because they're like you hear them like we used to get there so early and they'd be sound checking like, oh, fuck, they're going to play like all those yesterdays tonight. And then you see it on a set list like three weeks later. Like, because, yeah, right. but, but that's, but I, or they'd read that, like, Ed would read the set list of the last two or three times they played that town to make sure they didn't like have too many repeats. STP, it's like, I would have probably gone to more shows if I knew they'd be playing adhesive or. Yes, good call. Still, still, nice remains, drop, or, by the way. We didn't say adhesive before. Another great uh, banger. But I mean, like, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. They're, that's why when they broke out, I think that tour that I had them in Jacksonville playing Seven Cage Tigers acoustic yeah. in the middle of this, like they literally like dragged out stools and I'm like, what is happening? And I think that I, that, so, that was so, so cool. We saw, we saw the same tour and I'm going to just quickly mention, I know, and I'm again, I'm going, I, I love doing this by the way, because I'm getting all nostalgic because it makes you think about what it was back then and how it 
affected you back then, right? And I sure. remember, so it was, again, it was between 2001, 2003, it was a Shangri-La tour. They played Hammerstein um, in, in the city. And I, I was in college, so it might've been before 2003. Um, I was still in college. I was in Stony Brook in Long Island. I came in, I came into the city with a friend of mine, see the show. And up until that point, again, we talked about it before, STP, like many bands, they were on their fifth album at that point. They'd hit their peak. I'd only ever seen them at an arena or mm -hmm. at an amphitheater up until that point. Got so it. this is my first time seeing them in a, you know, a club smaller venue, which I, I'm, I've always liked Hammerstein as well, not as much as Roseland, but again, very totally. similar, different vibe, but cool venue. Um, and... Dude, I, they played. They 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 opened with "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," right? And what? then, which I, you know, I I don't remember. And back then, I don't think I knew what the setlist was gonna be. There wasn't mm -hmm. like setlist.fm back then or anything. Right, right. So right. they opened with "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," and to your point, they played Seven Cage Tigers," "Wonderful," and Atlanta in the middle of oh, the set wow. acoustically. And it was just like, and let's just say I was, you know. My college days, not that I wouldn't do that now, but I was not in the greatest headspace. I was the happiest person yeah. in, in the place. You know, I can picture like, I can picture you. I'm sure you could. <laughs> it was awesome, man. And again, I'll uh, those are the shows that you remember though. You know, because I've seen STP a lot and maybe not as much as other bands, but I've seen them a lot. And a lot of the shows, because it's the same set list, I can't pinpoint some of the shows. Yeah, but of course. That's the show that I specifically remember. It was a special one, and playing those types of songs in that setting was fucking awesome. It's just cool when bands do that. Like we've always wanted a band like Pearl Jam to do like a B-sides tour, like a deep cuts tour, and yeah. just play smaller rooms. And it's like the STP it felt like they would have probably gone that route if they kind of I mean, you know, they were building an actual real deep body of work by the yeah. time they were done. And like to your point from earlier, there's some great songs in those later records. And some of those songs are like they're earworms, like whether you like it or not, Days of the Week has been stuck in my head for like 20 years. Listen, it's, it's, it's a great tune. And on that album, I'll say I'll say it here too. One of their best songs throughout the entire catalog is a song called Cinnamon, which is oh, on that album jam. also, man. It, it's a great song. Um, it's just a total 60s rock vibe. You right. Know. They, I, I think that they'd a lot of bands were able to morph from that that era, and it just felt like the fans didn't want STP to do that. Yeah. And I think I, agree with and, that. I think and I think that's a bummer because they almost felt like the most natural fit of any of the bands to morph. Where it's like, okay, fine, you don't fuck with core. I get it. It's it, it, it can be viewed as derivative, whether you think it is or not, or I think it is or not. But once they got to purple. They were on a whole other level and Absolutely. they became a whole other band. Like he even sounded different when he sang. He's like, no, this similar to Faith No More in a way where it's like once they got to Angel Dust, he's like, no, this is my voice. This is my actual voice. And yeah, there actually is probably shocking amount of parallels with those two. It's a great point, man, because I, I got to say, like, I remember for a long time, you know, as much as I enjoyed Purple and Tiny Music and all that, part of me was also like put put out another sex type thing just do it. you know they did. i think as as, as yeah right yeah as i like, got older though it was it was more like i actually would welcome an acoustic tour 
at this yeah. point now yeah. with their body of work. I think at this point with Jeff as a singer, they have to, if they do tour, they just announced a tour actually, they got to do what they got to do and play the songs that people want to hear. But like for me, I would love for them to play an hour and a half set and have Atlanta and I Got You and Cinnamon and Adhesive on yeah. that set list, you know? Totally. Um, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. So um, I always want to like, we could talk about this for days, but I, 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 we, I do want to wrap this up with my two favorite questions I always ask in a nice little package, which is, look, they're dissimilar to like some of the other bands that I've talked about. STP is a very sexy band at times. And what is the sexiest song for you? Like what, what is that anthem for you? But at the same time, give me the antithesis, give me the opposite of that. What is your funeral song from this band? Man, I think sex type thing is just a really, really kind of like every everything about me obviously has sex in the in the name of the song, sure. but like everything about that song is just like, you know, it's a it's an aggro song for sure, but it's also a you know, it was an introduction song to many, you know, totally, it was totally, it was that type of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I got you has the lyrics of, you know, with, with grave in it and everything that, that, would Oh, be totally. Funeral song for me, man. You know, that's just like, um, cause usually like, it's like, okay, do you want to get serious with this? Or you want to torture your relatives with like where the river goes? But yes, I appreciate <laughs> that you, that you, that you actually went all in on that. I mean, that, that's what a beautiful song too. And I think that's what get, gets lost or, a lot. Or, or Atlanta, to be honest, man. I mean, I, Dude. I, I can close my eyes and gently slip away to Atlanta. Yeah. You know? Oh, wow. That, that is that is something right there. <laughs> no, but, 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 but that just is that song is beautiful. And I think that whole record number four in the canon of the band, I think it resurrected their career in a way where maybe a lot of people had written them off at that time, that gap, it doesn't seem like a long time going between like 96 and 99. But in that time, it had gone from the death of grunge in 96, so to speak, to the height of new metal in 99 a lot had changed like primus was working with fred durst like all these other bands had come up and they were still able to headline festivals because they had songs that like yes like atlanta and but they also had these heavier songs like a fuck it like like uh church on tuesday pruno yeah violence down yes down example of that too down, um, I think brought, your brought a lot of people that back gap, in. That 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 time frame of like the end of the the grunge era. You also had the small hiatus from STP. You had Wyland right. doing a solo album. You had talk show. Talk show, yeah. You know? um, by the way, we didn't touch on Army of Anyone, which I also thought I was a pretty thought decent, about that. Yeah, decent band. I, I wouldn't. I personally like Talk Show better, but I did, it had a cool appeal Same. having Richard Patrick from Filter as the guy. See, I saw them live at Bowery Ballroom. That was cool. They played a few STP songs. They played, obviously, Hey Man, Nice Shot, which... Uh, sure. I mean... Of course, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it know. was... It, that was, to your point, it's crazy to think that that era lasted, and then it, it changed pretty quickly as it got to late 90s. I mean, dude, by the late 90s, like, I had I had a corn poster in my in my college room. I <laughs> yeah, did. you did. Yeah, you, you know? did. Of course I did. Um, and I was all into system, still am, but you know. hey, look, 
it's it did change quickly and i think that that's the message that like they went against the grain in the same way a band like pantera went against the grain just completely yeah. opposite where like every band was getting softer and pantera's like fuck you we're gonna make like close to yeah. a death metal record and then stp was like nah this is our trajectory doesn't matter what what got us here we'll always play those songs but this is where we are and also they probably just you yeah. know whatever they could get out of scott at the time they probably had to like really tailor it I, I i can't even imagine what that was like i i'm with you um, you know that was crazy man yeah but dude i i am so happy we finally got to do this this being the kickoff for season two uh yes we have to get into this wrestling podcast so i need to come up with some <laughs> dude this was this was a pleasure i appreciate being um episode one of season two it means a lot Fuck yeah I'm a big fan of the podcast i'm happy for you man Thank um, you, man. I'm also serious about the wrestling podcast. <laughs> I, hey, man, I'm a terror. fucking days about <laughs> uh, different eras of pro wrestling. Oh, dude, I'm so down. So, uh, <laughs> Randy, I will tag everything in all the posts. Um, please listen to the Gross Out Bot podcast. Like, listen, share, subscribe, do all the things, tell all your friends. Um, Randy, thank you again, man. And we will see you soon. Thank you. All right, awesome. man. Thanks, brother.